KFTE Independence and K233DM Raytown. 1510 AM, 94.5 FM. in and Toth presents The Shift with Jack Johnson on ESPN Kansas City. 1510 AM at 94.5 FM. We are back with another edition of The Shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN Kansas City. I'm your host, Jack Johnson, alongside producer Jake Gutierrez. Well, a little bit of an interesting start to the show today. Promise we're going to talk some KUK State and a little bit of Super Bowl. But we got to cover something that's obviously massive news in Kansas City today. Bobby Wood Jr. having his press conference after signing the biggest deal in franchise history. So we're going to have you hear a little bit of that to open up the show. Here is it live, Bobby Wood Jr.'s press conference with J.J. Bacolo and John Sherman. Um, we draft Bobby, and then Mr. Sherman becomes the owner. And without Mr. Sherman's support and our entire ownership group, uh, we don't have the opportunity to sign a player with Bobby's talent. So uh, we appreciate your support through this, not only with Bobby, but uh, all of the free agents and the commitments we've made this offseason. Um, it was a great offseason for us, and we're excited about 24 and the years to come. I also quickly want to thank Brooks for Brooks Sherman for his guidance and uh, advice along the way. This is, gets pretty complicated, and uh, having somebody that you can bounce ideas off of was very helpful. Um, Scott Sharp, uh, as Sam mentioned, his creativity and trying to come up with a, a structure that would allow this deal to uh, ultimately uh, come to fruition. So Scott did a great job. Lonnie Goldberg is mentioned uh, without Lonnie's vision of what Bobby, uh, what type of player Bobby could be, and it really started even before 2019. That, that draft, it wasn't just a couple months of scouting Bobby and getting to know his family and what he's about. There was a lot of years put in, so Lonnie, thank you, because that was a huge part of where we are today. Um, Finally, just again, special day for Kansas City. This process ramped up in September. Uh, once we got to the winter meetings and got going through the holidays, uh, we felt pretty good that we were uh, going to be able to get to a, uh, a deal. Uh, but we're very fortunate uh, that Bobby wants to be part of Kansas City. He shares our vision, wants to win. That was very clear, and uh, we're just proud that you're here. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I just want to say thank you to Mr. Sherman and all the ownership, um, just believing in me and just to, for what's to come, and then to JJ and all the front office and just the Kansas City Royals organization as a whole, from coaches, teammates, to everyone, to everyone who's been with me through this ride and for the ride to come, and then also to my family. Um, just I wouldn't be here without them, and it's just great for my parents, mom, dad, my three older sisters, my brother-in-laws, and Maggie. It's just just a blessing to be in this situation here. And then to the fans of Kansas City, I'm just honored to be here, to be able to play here and call this place my home. That's great. Um, I will take questions. Just give me a, a hand so we can uh, keep everything organized. But, uh, Joel. Bob, you're always, congratulations, you're always so even keel. I'm curious what the emotions are like right now, one and two, what, what it means to, to make this your home. It's it's unbelievable. It's it's like I said, it's truly just an honor, um, a blessing. I've never really have had tears of joy maybe like three or four times. Um, all of my sister's weddings uh, when I got drafted and out today, and so it's pretty it's pretty special. It's it, this feeling is amazing, and so yeah. Annie. Mommy, when did you know that you wanted to be 
I think it started almost even before the draft. Um, just going back to what JJ was speaking about, Lonnie, and just the people who were covering the draft they were at. I think we played, I don't know, around 40 games, and there's a Royal Scout at every single game, most practices, and just seeing the blue up there in the stands, it was just kind of, it felt like that it was right. And then so got drafted here, and then just being in the city, being around the people, the fans, it just felt like felt like home just from day one. And so I'm just honored to be able to be here and try to help help the team as much as I can. Uh, Jalen. Bobby, what made the time down to sign the extension? I know you did have some time to maybe push it down the road a little bit. So why now? I just think now is just the perfect time. I'm just not only like – sounds bad but had a bad year last year but then now just trying to build off that just what can we do to keep performing and you saw all the moves that they made this offseason it's just a sign of hope and so it's just it just felt like this is the right time and this is it's an exciting time for sure Bobby what were some of the things you heard from the from the club that were reassuring to you uh, that made the, the long term deal uh, easy and exciting for you yeah it's just kind of like I just said just what the the move they made this past off season just just shows you that they w- they want to win now and, and it's it's a time time to win now and so just being able to kind of do that talk with them and just hear what their their focuses are and just trying to get back to winning baseball. All right, Penny. The the message to the fans. What well, you know, I I I, I hope. You know, it's it's. Uh, I think anybody that knows us, um, we've been committed to winning for a long time, right? It's there's, there's not a straight line between point A and point B, but I think at the end of the day, it's it's not. Uh, it can't just be what you say; it has to be what you do. And so, I would I would hope that uh, people would take from this and and you know the, the also the this this off season that JJ and his team have engineered are indicative of our commitment to, to winning, and we want to do something special for the fans of Kansas City. Uh, Jim? John, when you said you came to the table in September with a new proposal and you outlined those three areas, what kind of led you to wanting to come back in September and make sure we can get this done now? What what made us come back? Get to the table in September and wanting to get the job done now. Well, we, we wanted to make sure, in September, we wanted to make sure that that Bobby and his team understood our intentions, right? And then and then really turned the process over to JJ and his team and Scott Pacino and Bobby and the Octagon team. And then there was just a whole series of communications that that uh, like in any negotiation, right? But the thing again that was great about it, it was uh, uh, there were there were certainly some times when there was a gap, but the, the the parties kept talking and got creative. We talked about the structure of this deal. There's just a lot of things that help. Uh, so so certainly we wanted to uh, we wanted to get this done uh, certainly before the season began, ideally before spring training, and really felt like this was the year to do it too. You know, Bobby's uh, a year away from his arbitration years, and felt like. He's certainly proven himself as a player, but you know, more importantly, maybe even is the way he talks about the team and the team commitment. And really, in this game, you're, it's it's you got to find um, players that are team first. It's also really really hard to uh, draft and develop uh, generational talent in this business. It's even harder to keep them in the same uniform, and that's that's really what this is about. It's going to do a lot for our team. Yep. yep. John, there's a perception that small market teams 
not just have difficulty keeping players of Bobby's caliber around, but signing them long-term and giving them that money. Why financially do you think you were able to do this, and does it suggest that other teams of the same market size would be able to do the same you know, I don't want to. I don't want to speak for the other ones, uh, but I can tell you. You know, in this particular case, we just feel really good about the player and really good about the structure. And uh, look, we we understand uh, the value of a, of a player like this. The structure was certainly important, but this is. Uh, and also, I think as a small market team, we can. We will never use uh, that as an excuse. You know, we, there may be some things in baseball that could be improved over the long haul from a competitive balance and parity standpoint. But you know, all all all, all I know is what we can do here, and and we want to we want to do something special for Kansas City for our fans, and uh, we've been thinking about this deal. I really am serious. I was dreaming about it a little bit in spring training one day when. You know, I think he was about 19 years old, right? But, and you can see the promise and, and the hope, but uh, now we can, we've seen it at the major league level. And we all know how hard that is to make that transition to the – you know, we see all kinds of really talented players that struggle. And But Bobby keeps working. His work ethic is kind of off the charts. Every once in a while I'll go out to uh, my suite on a game day and – 3.30 in the afternoon, and a lot of times he's in the cage doing extra work, right? And uh, and so all, all of that, and, and not just at his own individual performance, but how he will elevate, you know, the rest, all of us and the rest of the team by being here. So that, that's kind of all. It's really about the Kansas City Royals. I, I'm not sure I'm going to get a standing ovation when I go to Orlando uh, today for the owners' <laughs> meetings, but, but there'll be certainly be respect. <laughs> Uh, just, for, just for everyone out there, um, I mean, lots of first-round draft picks, you know, come through the system, but, but they'll pan out. Just what were the things that allowed Bobby to flourish in his, uh, in his draft pick, and how happy are you all that this is just the tip of the iceberg? Well, I, I think clearly uh, Bobby's background, being the son of a longtime major league player, um, you know, make, makes a difference. Uh, but his work ethic, uh, the type of person he is. I mean, they're, they're, you're talking about somebody that knows he's the most talented guy when he steps on the field, probably since he was six or seven years old, but cares about his teammates ju- just as much. And it, that's a very special quality. And that's a lot of what brings us comfort to be able to commit long term, knowing that that's what makes him special aside from just his talents on the field. Uh, but he was clearly raised exceptionally well. Very, very respectful. I've never run into a, a player, a coach, uh, a, a, you know, front of, he's the guy everybody enjoys being around. And I think it's uh, when you think about long term, some of the things it can do for us, players are going to want to come play with Bobby Witt Jr. And that's that's immeasurable right now. Um, but in our conversations with free agents this offseason, there was one question everyone asked, and tell me about Bobby Wood Jr. <laughs> so that's going to continue. But um, special person, special talent, and a lot of comfort in committing to somebody like this. Bob, you got that for Bobby too? Uh, yeah. Yep. yeah, I would just say just the, the support group that I've had and just from 
starting from the Kansas City organization, just always believing in me, trusting in me, just from day one. And so I was being able to just, they always wanted me to just go out there, play baseball, be Bobby, and go have fun. And so that's kind of what I've done. I've put pressure on myself, but at times where I don't need to, I just go out there and be me. And so that's where they trusted me, and then I had a great support group, not only in baseball, but at home. And so that's I feel like it's gotten me to where I'm at here today. Cool. Uh, I think Annie. Yeah, well, there, we, we needed to find some common ground. You know, there, there was some separation early on. We needed to find some common ground. We, we knew what we felt strongly, like we needed to attain when this deal was all said and done. And, you know, we, we grew to know what was important to Bobby. There's clearly a lot of flexibility uh, on Bobby's behalf, but we're comfortable with that because it allowed us to um, sign him and, and acquire really – Get a number of years that we felt very good about, you know. So, so that's where we had to we had to work from both ends to get to that point where both both parties were comfortable. And I think when it was all said and done, we're both happy with the structure, and it works for both of us extremely well. Yeah, definitely. I'd say just to be long term, because this is where I wanted to be. And if I wanted to do something, I wanted to be here. And so that was kind of the main goal. And then just with having those, the house structure and everything, just with the chance of whatever, whatever happens, kind of happens and kind of give some ball in my court at some point. But then other than that, just just wanted to be here long term. And so once we were able to kind of agree upon that, it was it was great. Jim. Bobby, Bobby, what does it mean to you to see so many people sharing their outpouring support? After you sign the deal, and also to look up and see your name on a poster saying "Our Guy, Our Team." It's it's unbelievable. It's just being able all the text messages I was getting, um, just seeing like breaking news, and then it was me. And so it was pretty, <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was pretty special. And just all the, the like I said, the support from family, friends. Um, it was it was pretty special being able to just see the text messages from the guys. One of them being Patrick Mahomes was pretty cool. Uh, but yeah, just from everyone just all the support the city and even just kind of going around like we were out fan fest this past weekend everyone's like oh when do you get that contract done when do you get that contract when we want you here forever we want you to be a kansas city and forever and so it's just pretty special just to be able to hear that and all the support and all the love from everyone yeah. this is for anyone out there how would you say that this deal represents what's next for the franchise and Well, I, we secured a superstar in the game, so that that that's step number one. So we're going to have a player here in the middle of our lineup or top of the lineup, whatever it ends up being, that's here for a lot of years, and it gives us something to build around. Um, I, you know, not to downplay anything that's happening today, but I, I think our front office learned that Kansas City is a desti- destination spot for free agents. Um, you know, it was nice to be able to sign guys and, and you know, represent what, what does Kansas City bring for you and your family and what's our vision of the organization. And then when you have some pillars, there's stability there in the coming years when we have to acquire players via free agency or try to trade for players. We have somebody to build around, and that's exciting for us and gives us reason to believe that our long-term vision is possible, and that's to sustain success over many years and be competitive year in, year out. Cool. You good? Okay. Yeah. There was the press conference live today at Kauffman Stadium for Bobby Wood Jr., who signed the biggest deal 
in franchise history, not only the biggest, I mean, it shattered it by $200 million. A 11-year, $288.7 million deal that can be up to 14 years. So there's a chance uh, that Bobby Wood Jr. never plays for another team in his career. And John Sherman and J.J. Bacola wanted to give him and that opportunity the best chance of happening because uh, I don't think they ever want to see Bobby Wood Jr. in another uniform. And for as aggressive as this team has been in the offseason, uh, to cap it all off with this, uh, something we're not used to here in Kansas City, something we've never seen before. Uh, Bobby Wood Jr., now the 15th most expensive player in baseball in terms of an overall contract, and that's great to see. And it's great for small market teams um, because so many owners out there will cry poor. Uh, they'll say they can't make certain moves, they can't afford their stars because they don't have the money. They always do. They always do have the money uh, to make a move like this. And props to John Sherman, props to J.J. Piccolo, and props to Bobby Wood Jr., uh, their superstar here in Kansas City to stay. And uh, what a what a level of excitement there is now for the 2024 season. Even if they didn't make all the free agent moves before this, I think people will be feeling pretty optimistic about this team, about the the progression moving forward. But you add on all the new additions they've had, Bobby Wood Jr. to a big-time deal. Hard not to be excited for Kansas City Royals baseball. And we'll have plenty of more talk coming up over the next couple weeks because spring training is right around the corner in Surprise. Next week, the Royals will head down to Surprise. First full squad workout, I believe, is in two weeks. It'll be on that Monday after next weekend, not this coming weekend. So, yeah, baseball right around the corner. And the Royals, one of those teams that have the nation talking about them. Maybe not as much as the Dodgers, but they're one of those small market teams that are getting a lot of praise from everybody out there. And it feels good right now to be a Kansas City Royals and Bobby Witt Jr. fan. We'll take our first break of the show. When we come back, let's talk about what happened in Manhattan last night. As for the second straight year, the Kansas State Wildcats stunned the Kansas Jayhawks. That's next on ESPN Kansas City. And there you heard some of the calls from last night's game between Kansas and Kansas State. The Wildcats, a winner in overtime for the second consecutive year in Manhattan. They win 75-70. to Jerome Tang moves to 11-0 and in overtimes in his career as a head coach. Just a phenomenal stat. And I think going into this game, if you had any expectation that was going to be a blowout for Kansas because they had just beaten Houston and K-State had lost four in a row, I mean, you just hadn't been paying attention the last decade when these two teams play in Manhattan. Uh, it has suddenly become a really tough place to play for Kansas. I mean, the first part of my life and a large chunk of Jake's life, KU never lost there. Uh, there was that streak right before 2008, the Michael Beasley team. KU had won like what was it? 20, Twenty-seven, I think. Twenty-seven straight games. They had there. never, they had never beaten Kansas there. Yeah, since the arena. Yeah, because there was Ahern before that. Right. So it had turned into what Allen Fieldhouse West. That was the joke. I mean, it was an absolute domination. Roy Williams, Bill Self, they just never lost there. Then Beasley comes in. You have Bill Walker, Jacob Poe, and Denny Clemente. After that, Curtis Kelly, Wally Judge. And those K-State teams slowly started to pull off the upsets against very good Kansas teams. But I would argue, post-2013, it's been a really tough game for Kansas. Uh, they lost back-to-back -back years, I believe, with the Wiggins team and the Oubre team. 
They had another loss. I even believe in one of the Frank Mason years as well. Uh, they lost with the Diedrich Lawson team. Uh, they lost with the team last year with Jalen Wilson. They lost this year. Uh, they're starting to rack up a little bit more. And now it starts to bring up the question for for Kansas fans is I, I don't think you're going to say the programs are on the same level, but I don't think you can mock Kansas State anymore for being a team you just trample over. Uh, don't bring up the all-time series. I don't care. I don't care. And I, I'm a graduate of KU. Don't Do not care about the all-time series. I do not care that they've got more wins against Kansas State than any other program in college basketball. Don't care. It's about the now. You've lost to them back-to-back years in Manhattan. So you're splitting with them more regularly. Now, you, you can miss me with the pride aspect here. Don't come back with this loss and say, well, you have no national titles. To me, when you're going head-to-head in rivalries, you know the the biggest blow you can give that opposing fan base is just beating them, right? You know, you think you're hurting any K-State's fans' feelings this morning saying you have no national titles? No. Because that team that has no national titles beats you again. And they beat you in football for the 14th consecutive year. Again, this is coming from a Kansas guy. You know, I don't want to hear any of the excuses today. Um, here's the the grand scheme of things, though. Um, if you are wondering why KU is struggling so much on the road, why it feels so doom and gloom, it's because, A, the Big 12's really good this year. Let's Let's get that out in front. This isn't to excuse the West Virginia loss. This isn't to excuse the UCF loss. The fact of the matter is, it is as hard as it's ever been to win on the road in the Big 12, even if you're a top team, right? Kansas State, who just beat KU at home, had lost four in a row. This is a good Kansas State team. Still going to be on the bubble today. I still think they're a bubble team to get in the NCAA tournament. They got BYU and Provo this coming weekend, and they've shown no signs that they play that well on the road. Nobody really has been this alpha team on the road in the Big 12. Everybody's having their slip-ups. It just so happens that Kansas is doing it a little bit more than the top teams in the conference. They're now 1-4 in in conference road games. That's not a good mark. But here is what you can tell yourself today to to cover the Kansas portions before we jump into the Kansas State side of things. If you're a Kansas fan and you're still irate and you're mad and you're pissed off, I get it. Any loss is going to do that. Here is what I would say from the positive side of it. There is no team in this conference, and I repeat, no team in this conference that deals with the road environments like Kansas. You may be asking yourself, well, hold on. Oklahoma just went to Manhattan and played Kansas State, and they won by 20. You know, you've had teams that have strolled into Manhattan and won. Nebraska did it earlier this year. There were teams that played K-State better than KU did last night. What I'm getting at is every time Kansas goes on the road, and this has been this way for a long time now, you get the sold-out loud environments. Right? When UCF hosted KU, that was their best crowd of the year. They don't draw that crowd for Cincinnati or for even Texas Tech or for TCU or for Baylor. They don't. You know, when when Texas Tech hosts Kansas next Monday, best crowd they'll have all year. 
So that is what is going against Kansas. Not to be an excuse, but just know that when they're losing games, there's not a lot of teams that every time they hit the road, they get environments like that. I would say the one time this year, and shocking, it's their one conference road win, it was in Oklahoma State against a bad Cowboys team. And there was nobody there. So then at that point, it just becomes talent. I firmly believe the best environment KU plays in on the road all year is the one they had last night. In Bramlage, Manhattan, hostile environment, venomous crowd. They crumbled again. Now here's the negative portion of it. Here's the, the, the critical part of it. And I think what's much more important. Kansas should not be this bad on the road with the experience they have. Right, Last year's team, I can understand it a little bit. You know, I go back to the championship squad in 2021-2022. Ochai Abaji, Christian Brown, David McCormick, Dewan Harris, Jalen Wilson. The experience showed on the road. They had that 15-point come-from-behind win in Manhattan and won. You know, there was more poise on that team. There were go-to scorers. They were better. Last year, that team just didn't have the talent to overcome 15-point deficits. This year's team has the talent of overcoming big deficits, but they pucker up a little bit in late-game situations. Happened against Iowa State. Happened against UCF. Happened against West Virginia. They're just not that mentally tough in late-game situations. We've seen now in multiple scenarios, you know, on the road, I go back to the UCF game. You know, you had a 15-point lead. You blow that. Then when things got tight, the crowd got loud, nobody could hit a shot. The offense stagnated. You couldn't rebound anymore. That happened last night in the K-State game. Multiple times, KU in overtime and the end of regulation could have gotten a rebound, extended their lead, never could get it done. They're allowing Tyler Perry, who's five foot ten, to get offensive rebounds. Johnny Furphy showed his youth last night. A seventeen-year-old has been fantastic this year. Going to be a lottery pick. Multiple times he didn't box out. More experienced guys, guys that wanted it more, soared over him and got the rebound. Multiple times last night, I saw Kansas players, even the experienced ones, try to do way too much when they didn't need to. Kevin McCuller. Hands down, bar none, had his worst game of the year. And I thought the Iowa State game was pretty bad. This one was 100 times worse. Missing bunnies left and right. One of five from the free throw line. Five of 18 from the floor. Ugly. He's one of the main reasons they lost. I could get into the bench and how bad it was for Kansas, but are you really shocked at this point? The bench is terrible. Bench is awful. They don't give you good minutes. Okay, so you're relying on the starters for the entire game, and you're not going to win many overtime games when they're gassed. No, Hunter Dickinson and Jawan Harris were the two bright spots in the game. K.J. Adams a little bit, but Furphy McCuller, not good last night. No, there are many flaws to this team, and I think many would say, I even said it on the show, after they brought in Hunter Dickinson. Now, this was also before the, the horrific Arterio Morris news came out. But before all of that, I think I said point blank, this is the most talented roster that Bill Self's ever had. And maybe if I made a prediction, I said I'd be shocked if they lost more than like five games. They're at five now, and they're going to lose a handful of more. Your only hope is you don't lose them in the NCAA tournament because we know that's where Kansas is headed. We just don't know if they're a one, two, or a three seed. The other silver lining you don't have true road games in the tournament because we've seen a much different Kansas team playing at home. And if they get their 
preferred region in which they're playing in Omaha and Dallas, they're going to have the bigger crowd every single time. You know, neutral site games, you can feel pretty good. On the road, it's a bad bunch. This is a pathetic bunch on the road. And there shouldn't be any excuses made for them. And I'm not going to say that KU played atrociously and horribly and, and that's why they lost last night. They didn't play good. That's taking away credit for Kansas State, who played better. And they had ugly moments as well. For KU, though, you're just going to have to deal with this roller coaster, if I'm being quite honest out there, Kansas fans. They're likely going to win on Saturday. Okay? that's They're at home, college game day. They're not going to lose back-to-back games and one of those being at Allenfield. I'll just go out there and say that. Then they got Texas Tech and Lubbock. I'd put money down. They lose right now. But, again, this is all about setting yourself up for March. And right now, this team's not good enough to win in March. It's also a crapshoot. Okay? At the end of the day, just like we talked about all year long with the Chiefs, or at least a handful of times, I know there were times I also was overly critical, the regular season isn't as important as we think. You can be furious and angry about a loss to a rival, right? But when you look back on it, nobody really remembers regular season wins and losses once you get a top spot in the NCAA tournament. right? Every team, I feel like, is going to have that weird bad loss. Um, For the Kansas State side of things, this was a monumental game for them. Absolutely massive. They knew that going in. They knew that after the win. You're 14-8. and eight. You had lost four in a row, lost to one of the worst teams in the conference on the road. Things were not going well. Offense had been putrid, you know, pointing fingers at that point. And then you get Kansas. And Brett Yormark knew what he was doing with the scheduling. Kansas and Houston on a Saturday. K-State and Oklahoma State on a Saturday. Two days later, KU and K-State meet up in Bramlage. That's smart scheduling. KU coming off an emotional high. You're kind of hoping K-State were to beat Oklahoma State, so the crowd's even more hostile at that point in time. We didn't get that. K-State was coming off a loss. They theoretically shouldn't have had much momentum, but they're always ready to play in games like this. They've been ready to play Kansas for a long time now. And to get that win in that spot, let me tell you what it does. Now they have a win against Baylor and a top-five team in the nation. They're 15-8. and eight. They went from, if they were to lose, pretty much out at that point. You're 14-9. and nine, You're 4-6 and six in conference play. You got BYU on the road this coming weekend. It's starting to look very grim at that point of making the NCAA tournament. The resume wouldn't be that good. Losers of five in a row. Wouldn't have been favored to win in Provo. Not feeling too good, right? But now that you won you immediately catapult yourself back on the bubble. And you very well could be one of the first four or last four in now. It's a big-time matchup against BYU and Provo, because here's the thing now. K-State can't take this as, hey, great win, we beat Kansas, let's celebrate that, and then lose to BYU, because then all the momentum goes away. All of it does. Back down to five and six, you get a really good TCU team coming to Bramlage, and you kind of feel like you're back to square one. Now, you beat Kansas, but you did last year as well. You have a couple of times before. This was huge for Kansas State and Jerome Tank. Losers of four in a row. You get a Kansas team who just beat uh, one of the top teams in the country and beat them soundly, I might add. 
and you played much better. It wasn't pretty all to- all the time. You trailed by 11 early on in the second half. But Tyler Perry stepped up big when he needed to. Cam Carter stepped up big. Arthur Kaluma was a non-factor. They still beat Kansas. David Gasson was not 100%. Still beat Kansas. You know, this is something that you can hang your hat on, but it's still go time. It's still, you know, foot on the pedal here. You you can't treat this as a, wow, I feel great and we made Kansas fans feel bad. Uh, we've now beaten them back-to-back years in Manhattan because there's still games to be won. Still 15-8. and eight. You lose to BYU on Saturday. 15-9 and nine doesn't sound as good anymore. 5-6 and six in conference play, sub-500. You're back off the bubble. But you win in Provo. Now I'm starting to go from bubble to they're going to be in. Now they've hit this hot streak. Now it's go time. And what a perfect time to have it. I was very impressed with the way those K-State players who had been you know, just lost the last four games. To play that well against a Kansas team that, let's be honest, knew it was a trap game. You're, you're never caught off guard by a trap game. That's a funny thing in sports every time we say trap game. You hear it all the time. It's not like the Kansas players just forgot it was a trap game. It was a textbook trap game. Emotional win. You're playing a rival. Two-day turnaround. Kansas is more experienced. They've got more talent. They've got the Hall of Fame coach. And K-State ignored all of that and played with their backs against the wall. You could very much tell that that game mattered more to them. And you know what? That's not a knock on Kansas State. That's absolutely praising Kansas State. Because you saw for the Kansas team in the championship year, Christian Brown being a Kansas kid, Ochai Abaji being a Kansas kid, Mitch Lightfoot you know, being at Kansas for so long, Dewan Harris grew up not far from Lawrence in Manhattan. That game mattered a lot to them. They hated Kansas State. They wanted to win badly. And that's why they were able to will their way to victory and overcome a 15-point deficit. I'm just not sold that the Kansas players on this squad, exception Dewan Harris, care a ton. And that's not good. When you look at this, you shouldn't be you know, puffing out your chest and saying, oh, you know, we have 100 more wins than them in the series. Who cares? Who cares? It's about the next game. It's about the game in front of you. And this Kansas team, last two years, I don't think treated the game as seriously as they should have. You treat this game as a rivalry. I think you play more fired up and amped up. You can't just fall back on, well, we'll beat them in Lawrence. Yeah, you probably will. Okay, pat yourself on the back for it. You want it home. Winning on the road is what separates the good from the great. If they would have won last night, speaking of Kansas, I think at that point you're throwing some coin down to them to win the Big 12 outright. They would have been first place alone after being in fourth or fifth or sixth at the beginning of last week. You got the K-State game, the toughest environment on your schedule out of the way, and you're 2-0 in this gauntlet of a stretch. Now you're really starting to question your mentality about the road. Can you even win on the road? I mean, I don't even count Oklahoma State as a true road game. They've got one true road win this year, and it's against an Indiana team that might not even make the NCAA tournament. It's putrid play on the road. Not focused, turnovers galore, mental lapses, missing free throws. But again, not going to sit here and say Kansas lost because they played poorly. K-State 
or KU lost because K State played better. You they deserve credit. They were more fired up. They hit the clutch shots. They knocked down their free throws when it mattered. And you tip your cap to that. Okay, State knew how important this game was. And KU should have known how important this game was. Just because it doesn't really impact your NCAA tournament, it did for K-State. Okay, it did for them. But you also could have looked at that game and said, hey, this could be a game where we keep our rival out of the NCAA tournament. You should take pride in that. And I'm not sold Kansas did. I mean, we have seen some really good Kansas teams lose to K-State in that building. Really good ones. This team is very talented top to bottom. There's obviously flaws. Every college basketball team has its flaws. But, you know, you could move on from this one. you got to win on Saturday now. I'd imagine they will. But when are you going to shake off this stigma that you can't win on the road? Is it Lubbock? Is it Norman? you got two road games next week. So it's it's put up or shut up time now for Kansas in the Big 12 race. And we know how tough a schedule it is. And here's the thing. When you look back on the regular season, whenever people get over losses, you're going to go, okay, um, you win 25 to 30 games, probably six or seven losses on your schedule in the toughest conference in, in college basketball. You'll, you'll feel good in the end by it. And like I said, and the way we looked at the Chiefs of just get to the playoffs at that point, for Kansas, maybe with this bunch, just get to the NCAA tournament. Give yourself a number one or a number two seed, and you feel good. For Kansas State, if you're a fan of the Wildcats, you, you can't be happier this morning. I mean, this is a great, great spot to be in now. Huge win and an even bigger test, I would say, having to come off the emotions of this and win in Provo, a tough place to play against a top 25 team. You win that game, the NCAA tournament bid is absolutely back on. Maybe not back on, it's expected at that point. For Kansas, you got to regroup, and I think good for them, just like they had in the, uh, what was it? You lost to Iowa State before that, then you got Cincinnati and Houston back-to-back. Or no, it was Oklahoma State and uh Houston back-to-back. You had chances to just immediately get back up on the horse. For Kansas, they get a top-20 opponent in college game day. Back at home. You win that game, the narrative's going to flip again. Oh, this team's good enough to win the conference. But here's the thing. It's it's about what you can do on the road if you're going to win it outright, which I'm sure Kansas wants to do. Jake, your takeaways from Kansas and Kansas State last night with the Wildcats winning 75-70 to in overtime. Yeah, I mean, I think it exposed their lack of depth when one guy's not going right. They don't have anybody else. McCullers, I mean, they... they what was he from the line? One for six? One I mean, for five. One yeah. for five? I mean, you, you can't... I mean, I, I, you really do have to question, at this point in time, one in four in conference on the road. I mean, that is a thing now. They, yeah. can't, they can't win on the road. Mm-hmm. They can't. Now they're going to have two opportunities, as he mentioned, in, in Lubbock and, and in Norman coming up. But, you know, it, I think it speaks, too, to the, just the grinder that this conference is. I mean, you turn around and you have to play Baylor. So your, your, your th- last three games are Houston at your biggest rival and then a, a, a top 20 team. So I, I think you you got to give a lot of ca- credit to Kansas State. Their backs were against the wall. You know, I was in the camp. I I didn't. I thought Kansas was going to win this game. I I bet on the minus four, and then when they went down two, 
with about seven minutes in the first half. It was at minus one and a half, and I jumped yeah. on that yeah. too. And I felt really good when they went up double digits. They were up 11 at one point in time in this game. Mm-hmm. And they just couldn't sustain. Look, these are all learning experiences. These are these are great for building on. Now, it, it is what are you what are you going to do about it? And Kansas does pride themselves for winning the Big 12. I mean, they they regularly what 17 times now? They regularly win the Big 12. And so they do take a lot of pride in that. It's just Man, it, the depth has been a problem all year long. And, look, you don't need to go nine guys deep. But you need to have guys you can bring off the bench that are going to spark. Right? That's how you survive those things. And they just don't have that. You know, Timberlake's not the guy. Right? And mm-hmm. that's one of the first guys you're going to. You know, and a, and a freshman, Marco Jackson. Yep. Those, those are your two first guys off the bench. And they, they're really not bringing anything. They're really not. Uh, and, and so that's that's the concern. You know, your early concern was who was going to be the fifth guy. They yep. found the fifth guy. They found Firth, you know, Furphy. He's been, you know, a revelation, so to speak. Mm-hmm. You know, and so it's like you have your five guys and then you, you really are getting nothing after that. And it's it's a huge load to bear if you're playing in a conference like this. Yeah. You know, because those guys are banged up. You saw, you saw the the rebound that McCullers had after a night off. Like, you wish you could give one of those guys a night off every week. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, you really do, and that's what the, the depth would provide. And that you're starting to see the wear on these guys, mm-hmm. and, and so that's the concern, the inability to win on the road, and and the concern on how heavy a burden it is for you know, so to speak, the big three. You know, in Harris and. You know, Dickinson and and McCuller. It's they're look. They're a great team. They're probably not going to be a one seed. That's pro. I mean, that's the reality. You know, they'd have to probably win out and beat Houston, or not. Maybe not win out, but they could probably only lose one more. They have to beat Houston then win the Big Twelve tournament. Right. Would be the yeah. my guess. But that, I mean, that would take a, a Herculean effort. Mm-hmm. I don't think they have it in them. I just don't. I'm with I mean, you. I'm it's, with it's you. just, and it's nothing against them. It's it's about the schedule. It's about the teams they have in front of them. So it's it's concerning. Um, but look, for this to be a true rivalry, both teams have to win. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what this has turned into. That you mm-hmm. know, it wasn't much of a rivalry when when Kansas was going in into you know the Bram and winning twenty seven times in a row. Yeah, it, it it wasn't you know, but it is now and. Kudos to, to to Coach Tang, who if you go to overtime with that team, you're in trouble. Game yeah, over. You're not winning. You're not winning. He set an NCAA record with six overtime wins this season. I mean, that's and he, eleven and zero yeah. in his career at Kansas State in the last two years. I mean, that's it's a phenomenal statistic, and like says something to to the heart of those guys. It says something to the coaching staff that he has those guys prepared. Mm-hmm. You know that mentality because look, I. I thought after that loss to Oklahoma State, I was like, "This this team is done." Oh yeah, they're this torpedoing team is at that done, um, and they have their rival coming in. As I I felt, you know, look, it's always going to be a close game, but I, I I thought it was a recipe. I mean, shame on me that that was a re- that was a setup. That was yeah. a setup. You know, uh, a road favorite going in to a rivalry game. Uh, you know, it's one of the all-time flip games. You should know better. I should know better after how much I've seen college basketball. Um, but you know, it, it 
it never ceases to amaze me when something like this happens. But, it, you know, hopefully it's a wake-up call. We'll see. They don't let it fester. They don't let it roll into. And like I said, it's a whole different – like that's the crazy thing about college basketball. The narrative changes five, all the time. Five to seven days. Complete, we'll be sitting here a week from now, completely different narrative. Mm-hmm. Completely di- different narrative. It'll either be way better or way worse. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Yeah, it only gets exactly better right. and only gets worse, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's never like, oh, yep, unless you have one of those teams that, that you know, ho-hums and, and loses two or three games and has yep. the one seed locked down, and, and that's that's when things don't change. You know, but those teams are, are you know, two or three in a lifetime. I think what's so funny when you bring up the narrative, right, is if – Kansas wins on Saturday and then finds a way to win in Lubbock against Texas Tech. Think about how much different. But seven day exactly seven days from now, we are discussing Kansas. We'll probably go back to well, they can win the conference outright. That, that, that absolutely would be the narrative for Kansas State. You know, it's funny how last week we could talk about them and it's they keep losing. They're not a tournament team. They beat Kansas. Well, we're already back on well, the bubble team. If they beat BYU, yeah, narrative will change by Tuesday. They lose to BYU, yeah, narrative will change. That's just college basketball now, if if I'm being quite honest with you. You don't want to be the best team in November. You don't want to be the best team in December. You don't want to be the best team in January, not February, March. That's the hope. The hope is you get the best draw. You get the best matchups. And I think both these teams, really, I do believe right now, as I've seen both of them, they can be dangerous. They can be very dangerous to their opponents. We are just a few days removed from Kansas beating the brakes off of Houston. No scoring 78 against the best defense in college basketball. Of course, that was in Allen Fieldhouse. They're not going to get that uh, type of environment in the NCAA tournament. Same thing can be said, though. They're not going to be going to NCAA tournament games and playing where 100% of the crowd is against them. It's more of a (laughs) weaker-minded thing to say. It's like, oh, well, don't worry. They don't have to worry about the big bad fans that can scare them. But it is something you factor in. I think your success at home and your demise or negatives or failures on the road are kind of thrown out once you get to the Big 12 tournament or the conference tournament. all neutral sites at that point. At that point, it's about how fresh are you? How banged up are you? Um how do you fare against really physical teams? How do you fare against very fast teams, athletic teams? And I think this Kansas team can match teams' physicality. Uh, but what I am really concerned about for them is how fresh are they going to be in March? There is no depth on the bench. This is, I would go as far to say, the worst bench that Bill Self has had in ten to fifteen years. I mean, last year's wasn't great. Let's be honest about that. They at least had games they could give you something. There was not a single guy they could turn to off the bench last night that gave them any sort of value. Negative value at that. I mean, I saw two minutes into Marco Jackson checking in, him decide to pull up from the elbow and hit nothing but the bottom left side of the backboard. Parker Brown just drops an easy pass for two that would have put Kansas up eight at some point in the first half. He misses it, or he drops the ball, K-State hits a three. They tie the game 30 seconds later. Nicholas Timberlake can be a liability defensively. He can't hit his open shots. And that is alarming because even though, as we mentioned last week, I think the bench is a bit overrated in March. Right, You're not turning to eight guys in an NCAA tournament game. 
it does matter now if you can turn to them because you're trying to give relief. You're trying to give health and rest to the guys that you're counting on. You want to know why KU couldn't win in overtime? One, because K-State's damn good in overtime. Because they're not fresh. They can't turn to anybody for longer than two minutes without disaster happening. They just give you nothing, absolutely nothing, and and that is concern. Now, I don't believe KU makes the Final Four this year, and you watch that in that tournament loss, whether that be the second round, the Sweet 16, Elite Eight, I mean, that's just my prediction right now, you're going to see that it's because the bench will have two points in that game, and, you know, Hunter Dickinson, Kevin McCuller, Dewan Harris, KJ Adams are going to have 35 minutes to 38 minutes in that game gassed, exhausted. Why do you think Kevin McCuller, an 83% free throw shooter, was 1 of 5 last night? Exhausted. Those guys were dog tired because the bench can't give them any relief. But props to Kansas State. They win 75-70 to in overtime. Second straight year, they beat KU in Manhattan in overtime. BYU next for the Cats. Baylor next for Kansas, both on Saturday. There is Ray Charles, so it's time to go. That wraps up another edition of The Shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN Kansas City. I've been your host, Jack Johnson, alongside Jake Gutierrez. We'll talk to you next time. You take it easy, Kansas City. Don't you come back no more. Don't you treat me this way.